Hey everybody, St. Paul Peterson here, and welcome to episode 59 of Music on the Run. Fellow bassist, fellow Prince alumni, Andrew Gaucher is my next guest on Music on the Run. Enjoy. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing... Make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donny Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here, and welcome to another episode of Music on a Run. 59 to be exact. Man, I cannot believe that we have 59 episodes. Big one coming around the corner, 60. It's going to be a lot of fun. Summer's coming to an end here in Minnesota. I hope I didn't really just say snow because, you know, if I say that, it's going to happen next month. (laughs) Still beautiful outside here, and... uh, uh, the Minnesota State Fair is about to get rocking and rolling. I don't know about you, but if you have a state fair where you're at, but the Minnesota State Fair is the absolute bomb. I love going to it. I used to play at the talent show there. I used to I played at the, you know, the grandstand stage. It's just a great family hang. Lots of food. You kind of eat your way through this whole thing and we bring our kids. It's it, it's a it's a fantastic thing. So if you ever get a chance to come to the Minnesota State Fair, do it. Well, without further ado, I want to introduce you to my next guest. He's a fellow bass player, producer, a composer. And we actually just did a Funk Friday with another bass brother by the name of Will Lee. Yep, yep, yep. He's played with James Cleveland. Now, take these, take notes now. <laughs> Andre Crouch, BB and CC Winans, the Hawkins family. Shaka and Prince to name just a very few. He basically created gospel bass playing. He has a Grammy in his arsenal. Please welcome my new friend, Andrew Goucher. My brother, how you doing, man? This is so great. And I as because we don't know each other, I wanted to cut right into the interview because that's part of, you know, part of this hang is just getting to know each other just a little bit. Where am I finding you? Where are you? Where is your studio at? In Las Vegas, in my house. Oh, you're in Vegas. Vegas, yeah. I moved here in January. Uh, been here. Uh, we actually had relocated to Seattle for a couple of years, um, but we left there. And I just, you know, once you leave LA, it's it's different, you know. Yeah. And, and it's 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 funny because it's almost becoming unattainable to live there for people, you know. Cost and, of living. Yeah. And so I just I wanted to be close, but I didn't want to go back, you know, and I, I'm, I'm three and a half hours away if I want to get in my car and drive down there, you know. So and I go down there quite a bit to work, but um, but uh, I'm very happy in, in my peace and quiet where I am. Yeah. Las in Vegas. Vegas. But, you know, people are talking about associate yeah. Vegas with the strip, you know, 
there's a there's a wealth of uh, talent and really amazing community here of creatives that I was actually shocked to find, you know, because everybody knows the stereotypes of Vegas, Elvis impersonators and yeah. whatnot. But it's actually a, a really cool place. And when you get away from the strip, there's a lot going on here, you know, and um, I like it because it's quiet. You know, everybody talks about the heat, but everybody has air conditioning. So that's true. Uh, just go in the house and turn your air on, you know, and that's what you do. So I've been here going on actually eight months now, and I actually love it being here. Wow. You did you you grew up in LA though, so you lived there your whole life, or did you ever move away from there? Well, no, I didn't move until nineteen. I moved to Seattle in, in nineteen, and um, uh, right before the big shutdown, you know, and uh, so I spent the pandemic in Seattle. Oh, Seattle was beautiful, you know, but um. Uh, uh, it was different for me because I was literally just in my studio like every day. I was going to ask you this. How did the pandemic affect you and change you? Well, I mean, just, and I have to say, I was one of those very skeptical people about the, the vaccination and all of that stuff, man, you know, and then I saw the back and forth, uh, you know, one way or another. And I, I, I had to come to the realization that what the heck do I know? You know? So mm. I got, I got vaccinated because I felt like I was being considerate about other people, you know? And, but I was like, you know, I heard these people talking about, well, you know, I did my research and, and then you hear the follow the science people. Yeah. I just thought about all the stuff we allow into our systems every day. We don't know where it came from. That's you right. Know? Is is your organic asparagus really organic? We don't know because they put a sticker. It says there. it on there, though. Right. Yeah. So I did it, man. I didn't have any kind of after effects or anything, but just I was in my studio, and that's it's funny because that's what I was doing before, and because um, I, I do a lot of recording for people like all yeah. over the world, and I was doing that, and I just kept doing that. Uh, the only difference was. Uh, you couldn't go to the grocery store, you know, not being able to go places for a little mm. while was absolutely just, it's mind blowing that we, you know, I never thought I'd see this in my lifetime, you know, where you couldn't go anywhere. And, and Seattle, Washington was even more stringent with their, you know, mandates than a lot of other places were. Mm. You know? And so, but, you know, I lived through it just like everybody else did, man. You know, uh, I couldn't get none of that, none of that stimulus money that everybody was getting. <laughs> okay, so what people don't understand is that people, people uh, that have a nine to five, and I'm going to generalize here. Uh -huh. I guess what I'm trying to say is that musicians who are self-employed had a harder time receiving stimulus money than someone who had, I don't know, it's not traceable income, but but. Predictable income, I guess, is a better way to put it. That did that find you as well? Yeah, I just couldn't get it. Every, you know, I tried a couple of times, and I was like, "But the crazy part was, we were really okay, and we were really blessed, so we weren't adversely affected okay. financially by it." You know, right? 
my wife worked all through the pandemic. And so, and then just with the things that I was doing, sessions just kept coming in. And then I started giving lessons online, you know, and on Skype and Zoom. And that really, like, I was really shocked because I didn't even think I had the the temperament to even do that, to teach. Then I started doing it and I found great joy in doing it, you know, and it was really, really cool for me to discover that about myself that I, that I could do that. You know, had you ever taught before you've done clinics, but have you ever taught one-on-one? No, no. So the pandemic, are you self-taught by the way? I learned how to play in church, man. Right. That's, 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 just like Reverend James Cleveland's church, I used to sing in the choir. And in in 73, my mother got me a bass. And Wait Jane, a minute, mom, time out. Did you say your mother got you a bass? Yeah. Thank you, mom. Yeah, absolutely. The whole world thanks you, mom. Yep. It was a, It came from Sears. It was a Tysco bass. You I hope you have that still somewhere. No, no. <sighs> it fell apart, man. Uh, he, played the, he played it into the ground. I did. I played it till it didn't work anymore. And that's beautiful. Combo the Sears Tysco bass and the Sears Silvertone amp mm. it was a 12 inch speaker. The amp was 40 watts. It was a combo. And I played that thing until the, the woofer just came all the way apart, all the way around. And, and it would just be going like this when I played. And, uh, so your mom bought you the bass. Were your parents or are your parents musical? And my mother, absolutely. Like I don't a lot of people don't realize don't know that but my nieces, my niece and my nephews, my nephew is the rapper D Smoke. A lot of people have heard of him. He was on that oh, yeah. show on uh on Netflix, the competition show called Rhythm and Flow. It's like American Idol, but right. for rap. And oh, cool. he, he won the whole thing. Uh Cardi B. Chance the Rapper and T.I. were the judges. Snoop was a guest judge on there. Mm. So he won the whole thing, man. And my sister's boys are all doing a lot of stuff in the industry now. Uh, But I always tell people my mother is the tree where all of this fruit came from. My sister is an incredible uh, gospel uh, songwriter and singer. She's written some of the biggest gospel songs ever. Come on. Really? Yeah. And so it's actually just amazing to see it now, you know, because I remember when they were all little babies, you know, and now they're like seriously doing things in the industry. And it's actually cool for me because I get to play bass on this. <laughs> Nepotism at its finest. I have, look, I understand about that. My whole family's the same way. So it's like, yeah. you got a gig for me, big brother? Right. Yes, right. Uh, yes, I do. Right. Yeah. So are you, you must be the oldest then. You're just I'm the oldest. That. I'm the oldest. Okay. Yeah. So all your two have brothers as well. I have two brothers and one sister. Okay, and so this um, one sister's in the industry then. Yeah, yeah. And my other brother is uh is two years younger than me. He's also an incredible songwriter, but he went the he went the nine to five route. You got know? it. He wanted security, so he was like, "Yeah, I'll just go get me a job." You know. I understand. I ain't mad at him. Incredible songwriter though. So you we were talking about the fact that your mother gave you a base. Mm-hmm. You're self-taught. How do you self-teach yourself base? I mean, how does that work? Well, you know, for me, it's especially how I came up, 
there were, you know, people will say, well, who were you influenced by? There were no gospel bass players, you know. What were they, were they using the, the bass pedals, uh, on, the pedals on the organ? Yeah. I got it. Like the the name of my the first album, actually it's my only record. I'm working on the second one. Is is the name of it is We Don't Need No Bass. I've listened to it for the last five days, man. I love it. And that title comes from actual experiences that I had going trying to go to churches to play and they wouldn't let me play. They they'd be like, Oh, we don't need the bass. The organ player can play bass on the pedals. Mm. That's where that that's where that came from. And uh I'm just glad I've lived long enough to see gospel evolve the way it has into it literally influences all kind of music, you know. Sure did. Most of the cats it has and still does. Huh? Yeah. Still does like crazy. Yeah, the cats that we see that are doing all the top gigs in the industry, they all church boys. They're all ch- yes they are. They all sure church. are. And um and so uh it just makes me very happy to see that, you know, because I remember when it wasn't accepted like it is now, you know, and then I'm glad I still get a chance to play every now and then too, you know? Well, I would hope so. Did I, I, when I did, did my research on you and uh-huh. you were speaking about, um, you know, learning the bass, they finally let you play the bass in, in, and you took over for the, the organ player didn't have to play pedals anymore. <laughs> What you were the one who was. I'm sorry. They started seeing how it added to the overall experience, you know. And you know, and you know, my people especially can be steeped in traditions, and it's mm-hmm. hard to break those traditions, you know. So it's like chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, until those walls started coming down, you know. And there was a time when girl couldn't go into church if her head wasn't covered. You know, uh-huh. and all those kind of things. Customs, but, traditions, cultural. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, I just kept doing what I do. And it was really weird because, you know, like I said, people ask me who my influences were. My influences were singers. And I think oh. that's why I play the way I play. Like, uh, like I don't know the standard modes and ba- I don't know all this stuff, man. Right. You know, and, uh, but yet, you know, you, well, you, you do know. Yeah. Your but ears I, are so big that you know all that stuff. I just don't know what it's called. Well, that's know? fine. Who cares? As long as you can play it from your heart. Man. And that's one of the things I want. I don't mean to interrupt you, but some, what I notice about your playing for me is it's all about your heart. I totally feel yeah. that in your playing. Uh, is, is that something that you are conscious about? Is that something where you drawn that just to be free or tell me about your approach. I think that's just how I've always been. And I never consciously did anything thinking, okay, if I do this, then people will like me. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I have. I I never did that. And God bless you, man. What I felt and people started gravitating to what I do. You know, and but on the flip side of that, there are people that absolutely hate the way I play. You know, like I realized many, many years ago that certain gigs I was never going to get, you know, Hmm. only because people's perception. You know, even when I got the gig with Prince, everybody was like, well, how is that going to work? The way Goucher plays 
playing with Prince, you know, and I, I tell people how it works is if I want to keep the gig, then I do what he want me to do, period. That's all it is, you know, and I'm not, I was never going to try to impose my will uh-huh. on his gig, you know, but what I loved about him was because what I said to him when he first, he called me and when I got there, I said, hey man, look, Whatever you want me to do, just let me know. And his 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 exact words were, "I want you to do your thing." And he said, "And if there's something specific that I want, then I'll tell you." And you know how rare to my listeners. You know how rare that is for someone, especially a like Prince, to say that to any of their musicians, let alone the bass player. What freedom that was! That must have been like. A, I can be who I am. And that's the easiest one to be, right? I think, I think you know, when he saw me, uh, I was MD at Shaka. And, and you, you were the musical director for Shaka? Yeah. And I'll never forget the first time we opened up for him, he came looking for me. Hmm. And he was like, oh, man, dude, you were killing. Like, who did those arrangements? And I was like, I did, you know. And, and then it was funny because... We did opened up for him a few more times, and every time we did our set, he would be over on the side, like near the monitor guy, like with his shades on, like watching me play. And, and I was he like, was checking you out. He really was, man. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna tell you what's crazy. What I was not aware, and what I found out was how aware of. A, a whole bunch of players he was. He was aware of a lot of people, man, and that tripped me out. Like, mm-hmm. he knew a lot of the gospel cats' names. You know, he'd name them and go, do you know him? I'm like, yeah, I know him, because I know yeah. all the gospel dudes. Of course, yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so I just, you know, I did what I felt until he told me what to play, and then I played what he told me, you know. Right. A lot of times, people see especially like on YouTube, what always gets all the attention is, is all the acrobatics and the flashy things, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and then people see that and then they form a judgment based on that, not understanding, especially uh, a lot of the younger generation. Cause dude, you know, next year makes 50 years. I've been playing bass, man. God bless you, man. That's beautiful. 50 uh, years. 50. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you, brother. But people don't realize, like, some of the records I did. Like, I did uh, um, Montel Jordan, This Is How We Do It. That's me on bass. No. Yeah. We do it. Just don't, 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 don't. That's all I did, you know. I did Gangster's Paradise. Uh, uh, and wow. people don't realize. They just, they, they, they see, like, especially me playing in church and, some of that stuff I did, it's a, just a different kind of music and I could really be free, you know, to do what I felt. And so, but I've done a lot of things, man, that were really like structured and just played it. So I could do that too. Yeah. Do you ever, did you ever feel, I don't know if this is the right terminology, but pigeonholed or put into a box to where you don't, didn't think you'd ever get out of playing gospel music? Not that necessarily that you didn't, you know, that that would have been amazing. a problem, but. Because I, what I did realize, I was playing with James Cleveland, and I just, I just had a hunger and a thirst to just broaden my horizons and learn more. Yeah. And I realized after a while that I was never going to 
grow in just being in that situation. Hmm. So, and it's funny because my life is a series of being in the right place at the right time, you know, because from playing with James, we went to Oakland one year and that's how I met Walter Hawkins. And then I got the gig with the Hawkins family. And then, and then in 83, I went to Israel with James and that's where I met Andre Crouch. And, and Andre was like, Andre was my favorite gospel artist at that time. Mm -hmm. He, he heard me play and he was like, I used to look at these people's names on records, man. You know, I used to take the LP and pull the sleeve out and read the credits. And I used to look at these people's names and like wonder what it would be like to meet them, you know? And so Andre Krause is telling me that he loves my plan. I'm going, yeah, okay, yeah, right. Andre Krause loves my plan. And he's like, he said, I want to, I want to work with you. And then a month later, I'm in the studio with him recording an album and Joe Sample is on roads on this particular uh, I love Joe. I got to work with Joe too. That's that's and, and because of that being in that session with Andre, I played with the Crusaders for a while, you know, and um and then because working with Andre, Andre was the one that introduced the Winans. Like he produced their first album. Right. So one year we played with the Winans when they came to LA and that's how I started playing with the Winans. So things happen like that. And it just um but there's a, there's got to be a secret sauce. There's got to be some. What do you think is is that secret sauce for you? I mean, obviously for me, it's your playing, but it's got to be so much more than that. What do you think it is? I I think you know for me, um, my playing is what got the initial attention, but I think it was just also my ability to adapt and to to whatever I was playing, you know, because I started playing different things, but I was still able to to function in those different environments. And I don't, I can't explain it, you know, it was just all the situations I went in, it, it like worked, you know, and, yeah. and I feel, I always feel very blessed and, 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 um, grateful because it just I didn't have to like I didn't have to move to LA to get into the industry I was born there there yeah yeah you know in all these situations it wasn't until I moved to Seattle that I was ever um uh put in a situation where I have where I'm I'm going okay I gotta check out the scene here (laughs) yeah I suppose you know You, you were the new guy yeah what a blessing for me is they all knew who I was when I came, but that's a two-edged sword because I saw on this one uh, musician's website, uh, Facebook page, they're like, Andrew Goucher relocating to Seattle. And then these guys are on there saying, oh, wow, you better hide your gigs. <laughs> I was to try to steal everybody's gig, which I wasn't, you know. Oh, man. Well, peop- and, people uh, are funny, man. People yeah. are funny. So... I just been, man, it's funny. I'm a man of faith and I've I've Mm. always trusted God and he's always taking care of me, man. And even, even being here, people were like, when I came to Vegas, they're like, Oh, you you got a residency? Is that what you're doing? I was like, no, I bought a residence. I got a house here. That's about it. 
but I haven't really been, I play at church, which is always going to be my first love. Mm. And, um, and then just, just other stuff I've been doing, man. But like, as far as gigging in Vegas, no, I haven't been gigging here at all. Really? Ex- except playing at church. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Speaking of being a man of faith, as I am as well, uh-huh. talk to me about manpower and what effect that had on your life. We're going to take a little break from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday, including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, Gerald Hall and John Oates, Earthwind and Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast and there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast there are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website and there are many different levels on how you can become involved we could not put on this podcast without our patrons all right let's get back to the interview speaking of being a man of faith as i am as well uh-huh. Talk to me about manpower and what effect that had on your life. It's funny because one thing that I had to realize is that as long as we're on earth, we're dealing with man and man is subject to fail. Mm. And I was in a lot of situations and I won't name names where I got Mm -hmm. deeply disappointed by what I saw, you know, um, a lot of these people were singing one thing and doing another thing. (laughs) Right. No. And so I had never really felt the presence of God until I went to manpower. And what is manpower for those of us who don't know? Manpower is a, is a conference put on by T.D. Jakes. Um, and I went, it was 98 when I went to it. And uh, my whole life changed when I went to that thing. And it's crazy. I'm not trying to be all deep and, you know, ramming anything down anybody's throat. But for no, me, but this is your story. And I want to, I want to know. Um, it was like everything that was said, and there were 5,000 people in this room. I felt like every word was directed right to me. And I felt like nobody else was in there except me. And he was talking to me and I had gotten to a place in my life where I was really you know, because you know what, what doing what we do, you know what we're exposed to, you know what's, oh, what's yeah. available. And, you know, I took full advantage of it, you know. And but then I got to a point where, where I, I said, you know what, I'm tired of living my life like this. Mm. you know, And that's why I went there, because I had heard about it. And then 
that was the first time I ever felt the presence of God. And it knocked me down on my knees, on my face, on the floor. Mm. And it was, I can't even explain the feeling, but uh, I was never the same after that. I knew certain things that I was doing I couldn't do anymore. And and that's where I am. Um, even now, it's like, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, and, and, and I just want to be, I really want to live my life the right way, you know, and I don't want to look back with any kind of regret. And um, so I just want to be the best person I can be, live my life with integrity and, 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 and literally with holiness, you know, Mm. that's where I am. So, you know, that's why I think one of my, my focus, even in my plan, I get such joy because I, I recognize that I have a gift and I recognize where it came from Mm -hmm. every day that I can still pick up my guitar and play is a is a blessing to me you know and even though i i haven't done well lately i've been playing with my nephew which has been amazing oh, you know i feel like the grandfather out there with these <laughs> but, show him teach him but when i'm just even sitting here in the studio playing man like i'll turn on this is my this is my drummer right here mm-hmm. i on and and we just go for it man you know and i've been writing a lot because uh, that's when people ask me, like, when you practice, what do you practice on? I'm I'm writing like every time I play. Mm-hmm. And that's why I make sure when I do start playing, I always record. Hit, yeah, I got an idea. This is a sampler, too. I'll sample it. And a lot of times I'll go back and listen to stuff. And I forgot that I did it. And that's how I did with a, with a, with a bunch of my songs, man. So, um, yeah. 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 Do you feel that your bass playing is is a sort of ministry? Do you treat it that way? Is it more personal, more subtle, or do you think it's out there? I think that I've seen tangible evidence of my playing blessing people, you know? Mm -hmm. And... um, one of the times I really kind of understood how music can do that is when I was going to Japan. I'm, you've been to Japan, right? Oh, yeah. And to have the language barrier yeah. that they have, but then to see the sheer and utter joy that these people have listening uh, and, and crying and all that kind of stuff, man. And that that's what music does. And, and, you know, I'm not a I'm not a soloist, but I know that there's something about my playing that affects people. Mm-hmm. All I do is play from my heart. You know, mm-hmm. I'm never in a place where I'm trying to show off and impress people. You know, because there's a lot of people that can do a million things that I can't do. You know, but all I can do is be Andrew Boucher, and that's all I'm ever going to try to do. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. 
Let's focus just for the next few minutes on some of the cool things that you have done. I want to tell my listeners and viewers about. You sang background vocals on Man in the Mirror? Yeah. (laughs) Tell us that story. It's really hilarious because Andre Crouch, he got a lot of those calls uh, because, uh, like, we did the Lion King soundtrack. No kidding. We did... um, uh, we did a Julio Iglesias song one time. We did Madonna's Like a Prayer. I'm singing on Like a Prayer. No. <laughs> we did right? Color Purple. Um, and no. the, on Color Purple, the scene where the girl in the church is singing, yeah. that's my sister's voice. That's my sister Jackie's voice. Come on. And then Suge Avery's voice, you know, the the the, the uh, jug joint singer, that's Tata Vega. That's Tata, Tata's voice on there. I didn't know that. And Andre Crouch's singers doing all the uh, the uh, the vocals on it, and that's Andre playing ragtime piano on there. And really? Yeah, he was amazing doing that, man. Oh. But um, the Michael Jackson thing is funny. I have actually have a really funny story because when we went to do it, we didn't see him. We thought he wasn't there. And I, I, I sing okay, but I'm like, I always made sure it was an ensemble of nine of us. I always made sure I was all, in, all the way in the back, the furthest away from the microphone. That's not what I hear. I hear you're a great singer. But anyway. Well, I used to be, but I've got something wrong with it. I have nozzles on my vocal cords. That's why I sound like I'm hoarse all the time now. Mm. But but um, so we're, we're, we're working out the parts on the song. And. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Westlake Studios in L.A. Oh, yeah. And the the big room is a piano booth, but it's big nine foot grand piano is in there and it's sliding glass door. You know, it's, you can totally enclose it. But the back wall of that room is like a, a semicircle and it's all mirrors, glass. And so I'm standing in the back and out of the corner of my eye, I see something red. I was like, I looked and I didn't see anything. So we're going, going along, working on the parts. I see it again and again. And then I finally realized that what I'm looking at over here is a reflection of what's over here. And I turn around and I look down and Michael Jackson and this little girl are under the piano, like hiding, like they were hiding to see like, how long they could be there before they were discovered. And we were, we had been there at least an hour and nobody saw him. And when I, when I saw him, it it shocked me because I'd never seen him in person. Right. And I I did this and they were just looking up at me like this. (laughs) And so I just, I turned around and just kept singing. And then he and the little girl got up like little kids, man. It was a trip. He's holding the little girl's hand and they come running out like little kids, almost frolicking. Right. Yeah. And he came, they, he came and stood right in front of us and he just looked at us and then they ran out of the room like little kids. And, and, and then um, they went up to the, there's a room that overlooks the, the studio. They were up there in the window looking at us. And then Michael came down. Quincy was in the control room. He started whispering in Quincy's ear and Quincy was like, hey, you guys, Michael wants you to try this. You know, and we started trying different stuff that he wanted. And it was just weird, man. It was crazy. 
That's why even when all that all that stuff, you know, was going on with him, I never believed it because I what I saw was just, he was like a little kid, you mm. know, and you know most people can't relate to somebody like that who his whole life he could never go out in public. Right. Well, he didn't go through the natural things that that you know to help you grow and mature. So he was like a little kid. He'd been in in, in his own world in a shell his whole life. So, uh, yeah, that's my Michael Jackson story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, a couple of more names. Um, Shaka, tell me tell me about the good stuff uh, as being the MD. Well, for me, it was nothing but good stuff. And it was amazing because Shaka, I met her. I don't know if you ever heard of Karen Briggs, incredible violinist. Have you ever saw that concert of Yanni at the Acropolis and the girl with the red dress on with the yeah. dress mm-hmm. playing violin? That's Karen Briggs. Okay. And we used to do play together in L.A. a lot. There was a little place called Lava Lee. Oh, I know it. We used to play, and Shaka came one time and to Lava Lee when we were playing. This was about 2003, I think, 2003 or four. And so she's sitting there, you know, Shaka loves bass players. And uh, uh, her husband, Hassan Khan, I think, that he was a bass player. Uh, um, and she was like watching me play and she was freaking out, dude. And she was freaking out to the point where it was kind of weird a little bit. <laughs> and, and, and then after the gig, she came up to me and she grabbed my face and she kissed me in the mouth. She said, she said, baby, you going on the road with me. And during that time, from 98 to 2006, I didn't tour. I, I, in, in 98, I had been touring 20 years and I, I felt like I didn't want to go on the road anymore. So I stopped. So you stopped? Yeah. But during that time, I had a song on Mary Mary's first album, which uh, uh, I did a, an arrangement of Wade in the Water, mm-hmm. old gospel song. and But it was on the record that had that song, Take the Shackles Off My Feet So I Can Dance. Yeah. That record sold 4 million copies. And I was the only one on the record that had 100% writers and publishing oh. on the song. So that's when I learned that there's a whole other kind of money that you ain't gonna never get just being a musician. And, Mailbox money. Yeah. So I was actually really, really cool for a long time. You know, right. we were like, well, who are you playing with now? I'm like, I'm not playing with anybody. And then they're like, okay, what is this guy doing? Because they see what I'm driving and some people knew where I lived. There's like, okay, mm. this guy got something else going on. Right. But when I met Shaka, she came. She kissed me and like, you're going on the road with me. And I said, you know what? I, I don't really travel, but I'm very, very flattered. And thank you. You know, and then in 06, I got a call from her manager and she said, Shaka's been looking for you. She wants you to be her musical director, which was weird because I had no experience with her. She didn't know anything about me being a musical director. Right. And, and then she said, she said some words to me that nobody ever said before. She said, how much do you want? You know, usually they call you for a gig and tell you what it pays. Five dollars. <laughs> right. And so uh, I said, when she said that to me, I said, well, I don't you put me on the spot. She's like, I'm trying to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. So I said, 
I said the highest number I thought I could get away with that mm-hmm. they would say yes to. And I said it and she was like, okay. And I was like, crap. She said, yeah, too fast. I should have said more. Yes, you should have. Lesson learned right there. Yeah, but it was still, it was great, man. Um, Shaka's such a beautiful soul, man, and and a deeply caring person. She's been through a lot of stuff, man, mm. but she's literally one of the most deeply caring people that I've ever met, you know? And, and, uh, so I was, I had the honor of being with her for almost six years. Wow. And, wow. Uh, it was just cool, you know? And, and it's funny, like artists like that, you know, they 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 sing they have to sing the same songs for 50, 60 years. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of times what they do, what keeps it fresh for them is to change personnel. Okay. So we we got we got informed that we were being let go and mm. in 2011. And and I just told her, I said, you know, I'm, I want to thank you for the opportunity to work with you. Said I I love you. And I wish you the best. And I've seen her a couple of times since, but uh, but it was weird because literally a week after that happened, Cassandra O'Neill, Prince's keyboard player, called and said, "Prince wants to know if he can have your number. He wants to call you." Wow! And then he called me the next day. So, you know, I guess you know things happen for a reason. They sure do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And your time with Prince. Talk a little bit about that. You had a good time. It was a great experience because it put me in an environment, the kind of environment that I had never been in. I'd never been in any environment where there was structure. Like it was like, this is what you have to do. And so I had to learn how to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. We were playing cool. And this is what I, you know, I found out that he absolutely hates ghost notes. And so, you know, your natural feels, I'm like, yep. I'm doing that bouncy thing. And he was like, stop, stop. He wanted me to just go boom, 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 boom. Yep. And that was it. And that was the hardest thing for me to do. And. I literally, because, you know, he'll play a groove for like a half hour. Oh, at least. And I'm sitting there playing that, and I literally looked down at my neck, and it looked like my notes started moving. (laughs) You were hypnotized. I really was, man. But I learned learned how to, well, I learned that I could just do one thing, period you know and 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 also i learned how to use distortion because i never used distortion yeah. uh yeah. but just to be able to be in his presence when he's in his creative process was pretty amazing because he he'd hear things and you don't necessarily hear it like he's giving you he said you do this okay you do this but then you hear it all together and it's like yeah. oh okay so it was he was great, man. He was dope and just you know, um you you work with him, you know, it's like Prince was perfection or nothing. There oh, yeah. was no, there was no art alternative. Uh I remember we did we did the, the Montreal Jazz Festival and I missed a cue on uh mm. 
uh, on musicology. And it was supposed to be a four bar drum break. And I didn't come in for eight bars. And Prince, <laughs> Prince goes on the drum break when I'm getting ready to play. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, on bass, Andrew Goucher. And he's four bars late. <laughs> But well, usually he fine you at that point too. Five dollars, twenty dollars. Man, and it was so funny because you can see it on the video. And my, it just it hurt my feelings that I had missed a cue. Yeah, you know because you just didn't want to you didn't want to mess up at all. And it's all over my face because oh. I was supposed to start playing. I was like, oh. and I go like this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm so glad I, I messed up on the gig. I'm but so it's glad there for all the world to see, which is funny but not funny, you know. I'm glad we share that in common, man. What a what a genius he was, and you're right. He he taught yeah. me something coming up when I was just a kid, and and my listeners know my story. But I come from a bebop family, and I was. It's all about. How can you improvise a situation and how can you, you know, come up with cool different changes and right. different arrangements? And then he said, oh, no, you're going to play this because I was in the time. So I was playing keyboards in the time. So okay. I was playing the bass line with my left hand. There was no ghost notes. You did that. You had a job to do. And he really taught me about parts playing. Right. And, and right. how that works and how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And that's so cool that you got that same lesson as well from him. Yeah, yeah. And it's very gratifying when you listen back to it. And Isn't you know, it, though? Yeah, and it's like, that's great. And it's just, it's so clean and precise. And then you're, like, glad you were a part of it, you know? Right. It sounds yeah. like a record. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It does. Exactly, yeah. As you approach 50 years What's the most important thing to you at this point in your career? I don't want to leave anything undone. I have a lot of songs that I've written. Um, you know, it's funny because for a lot of musicians, it's hard to reconcile yourself with the fact that one day you aren't going to get the calls you used to get. It doesn't matter that you can still play. You know, this thing is seasonal like everything else is. Kobe retired. Jordan retired. They were great, but their season passed. And so that's the hard thing for, for a lot of this creatives, I think, to deal with. Like, one day you ain't the man no more, you know. Mm -hmm. And you see all the little young bad dudes coming up. I'm inspired by them. Um, but then, I, I, you know, even when I think about... I try to picture myself on stage with some of these artists and it would look ridiculous. Yeah, would, I, I look, hear you. It would look ridiculous. So, you know, what's Beyonce going to be like? Ladies and gentlemen, on stage, on bass, my dad. You know what I'm saying? It's, so. it's true. It's hard to take, it's hard to look at yourself like that because I'm sure, I don't know about you, but I, I still feel like I felt when I was a kid a, a little bit different, but I mean... Um, the energy is the same. I'm playing better than I've ever played in my life. But you're right. I would look absolutely ridiculous yeah. out with those young guys. I feel that. I feel that too. I feel like I'm the best I've ever been 
on my instrument. You yeah. know, it's funny because there were certain things I used to do back then that I don't do as well. But I feel like overall, all I've grown, my my approach to, to playing music is, is better than it's ever been, you know. Um, and my sound is killing. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, but what happens to us, we have to, we have to figure it out, you know, like there, there's other things, you know, it's, it's not over, you know, but it's just moving into a new season, man. And I mean, I feel like this, like I feel about being healthy. If we like, cause right now I've, I've lost 16 pounds. Cause you know, I, I got that pandemic weight like everybody else did. <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so I'm I'm working out and Hi, what are you doing? This this show is called Music on the Run for a reason. We right. talk about how you stay in shape when you're and I didn't even ask you that for crying out loud. In the last two minutes now in the last two minutes of this interview, I'm gonna ask you what you've been doing to lose that weight. Well, I mean, you know, just change my diet, man, because I'm the kind of person if I smell a donut, that's five pounds, you know. I got probably the slowest metabolism on earth. So Uh-oh. I gain weight really easy, but what I found out, I'm, I mean, I'm 63 years old, bro. And so, but I feel, I don't feel like a 63 year old man. I don't think I look like one. You nope, know? you and, sure don't. And, um, but just like, you know, working out, even like what we do, this is working out too. And you have to work out, oh, yeah. to stay in shape. And that's what I'm doing. I, you know, I went through a uh, uh, divorce so that that knocked me down for a minute, you know, um, for a good minute and and where I wasn't motivated to do anything. But now I'm just um, I'm just have such a positive attitude about life and playing. And, and I, I have a, I have a joy. My joy for playing is not contingent on who's watching me, you mm. know. So I love 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 to play like i've like i always have you know and so i'm finishing up i actually have three records that i'm finishing and uh two of one of us is a gospel i did a lot of recording with a group i had called the praise connection and okay. that record we recorded live and it's it's a, vo- it's a vocal album and and then i have an instrumental gospel record that i did mm. And so I'm finishing up all of this stuff, man. All of it is like three quarters done, you know? So that's what I'm working on, man. You know, and I want to finish because I don't want to leave here and leave anything undone. I just want to put it all out there. I'm not worried about a record deal, any of that stuff, man. I'm just, I want to release it into the atmosphere and whatever it's going to do, it's going to do, you know? And, you know, I still, I do sessions and, you know, I'll keep doing that, you know, and somebody called me to go out of town and play. I'll go out of town and play. Actually, I'm going to Japan uh, at the end of October. This Japanese artist who who I do, he sends me songs. I play on all of his records and he asked me to come to Japan. So I'm going to go to Japan for two weeks to oh, do some show. I miss it there. I love it over there. Yeah, I absolutely love Japan, man. Yeah. So, you know, and that's what it is. I, I just want to make sure 
because you actually get to that point where you're like, okay, I have far fewer days in front of me than I have behind me. So I want to make sure that I utilize all the time that I have, you know, and be productive every day. And that's what I'm trying to do. There you go. Yeah. From me, I want to say thank you, man. You've first of all for coming out of the show and for being uh, so cool. I we, I had a hiccup in my schedule yesterday. You were nice enough to uh, accommodate that. I appreciate that. Um, I also want to thank you on behalf of uh, so many bass players who have studied you and listened to you and learned from you, and you have been mentored by you, whether you know it or not. Who have you have ministered to? through your music and change people's lives through your playing, um, that's real. Uh, uh, and know that that is a truth, and you need you need to hear that, and you need to be recognized for that. And uh, just thank you for that. Thank you for who you are, your positivity, and your continued growth, and your records you're about to put out. You better hurry up. Get that without. Pick one. Finish it, because we want to hear it. But really, for... Thank you for for spending the time with us, man, and get, and so fun for me to get to know you because, of course, I've heard your name forever, and we've we've been on the fringes of each other's lives for a while now. But that's all changed. That's all changed. So, you ever come through, Minnie? You know, you got a home here. And well, brother, thank you for even thinking about me to do this, man. I I'm very very honored, and. Uh, you're a bad boy, too, man. We were talking about that. I've talked about you to a few people, man. I'm like, that joke was funky, man. Uh, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember when we came down when you guys were at the Dakota that time? I sure do. Yeah. I got sure in You all hopped on the stage, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Prince was up in the room. He never came down. He wanted me to hold the show that night. Oh, really? I'm like, I, I ain't holding no show. That was so fun. Can you hold the show for 20 minutes while I get there? And I'm like, no, I can't hold the show for 20 minutes. That's right, though. So you know I've played with Cassandra since that point and a lot of those folks in the band and the horns and all that. And it's been so cool to to meet that next generation of people because I was so long ago in the Prince camp, and now I'm kind of meeting all the other people who have come along since I was in the band. and. You being one of them, man, it's just it's so great to get to know you. Yeah. Well, thank you, my brother. I appreciate. How do it. we How do we find you, man? Are you uh, You're on Instagram and all that. Just Andrew Goucher. I don't have any fancy name. Uh, uh, if you type in Andrew Goucher on Instagram, Facebook, and what's that other crazy thing, TikTok. Oh, I'm uh, gonna go check you out. <laughs> Yeah, that place. Uh, I got to stay off of there because I get on there and I'm like, okay, three hours just passed. <laughs> still on I here. So. But yeah, just the regular stuff, man. Just Andrew Goucher. All right. Well, yeah. We wish you luck finishing that record. We can't wait to hear it. Everybody else out there, thanks for joining us. Episode 59 of Music on the Run. My name is St. Paul Peterson, and we will see you next time. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Video editing by Emily Turner. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember to be grateful every single day. Yeah.